People's Church podcast. This is part five of our series, Streams, with a message entitled, Trust, with Pastor Nelson Jones. I'm going to talk to you today about trust and uh, why it's so incredible for you. And I hope today that God's able to do something special in you because trust will do something in you nothing else can. Without trust, you can't build anything in life. Uh, in my life, at many different occasions, I've been confronted with circumstances that can be very difficult to trust in. Uh, whether it was uh, behind uh, with the wheel of a car in the southern uh, Manitoba with a blizzard going on and knowing at that moment that here I am trapped in a crashed vehicle. And uh, it was a moment in time where I knew God's voice just say, trust me. Or maybe it was a time when I fought for about six months with a deep wound in my own life and came to a time laying on the couch on a Sunday afternoon after church and all of a sudden having a damn break within me when I heard his voice, Nelson, trust me with this. And then the healing power of the Lord going through the soul. Or maybe, you know, it's been innumerable occasions when I've stood and looked at what the demands were and whether we would be able to meet those demands in the budget or in uh, personnel or in the challenge of the moment, building these kinds of things that you're sitting in today. And I remember clearly on several occasions, just trust me. I, I, the Lord is constantly feeding certain phrases into our life. Trust is one of those. And there's a reason for that is because it's so easy to move outside that paradigm and just trust ourselves. And when we trust ourselves, we get our own power, we get our own wisdom, we get our own resources. And then by we get our own results. When we trust God, there's something unleashed in the most difficult of circumstances. He modeled it for us. He modeled it for us. In fact, it's in Luke 23, 44 to 47, that at the darkest hour of human history, when the, when the greatest injustice was done, the greatest injustice that's ever been done is really easy to peg. It's the cross. I mean, you're putting God on a cross. You're putting perfection, holiness on a cross. You are killing that which is the author of life. I mean, how unjust could it get? And Jesus' response is, right from the cross, he's saying things like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what we do. He turns to a thief uh, who, and says to this criminal, and he says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He said seven phrases that absolutely didn't belong to the cross, but they all had to do with the gracious heart and the work of God. They were all saying, trust me, phrases. I don't know what you're walking through today, but you've never been at this dark hour as a perfectly innocent lamb being sacrificed for that which is not. But look at the last statement. I mean, the final of the final words. He had all of these seven final statements, but this is the final of the final. Let's read it. By this time it was noon, but darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the thick veil hanging in the temple was torn apart. Then Jesus shouted, final, final words. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. 
And with those words, he breathed his last breath. When the captain or the centurion of the Roman soldiers handling the execution saw what had happened, he praised God. This is not a believing man until this one moment where he has seen and observed something after being a crucifier of hundreds, perhaps thousands. This was a regular occurrence, crucifixion in the Roman Empire. He praised God and said, surely this man was innocent. Those last words, they're powerful words. I want us to take a look at those. In it, you know, Jesus is a model of how we die well. Let's walk through how to die well. First, he was at peace that it was his time. He wasn't, he wasn't struggling for it. He knew, in fact, he delayed it until that moment. You see, nobody took Jesus' life. Jesus laid it down. He gave it. Nobody took it from him. You don't even have to worry about, did the Romans do it? Did the Jews do it? You know, who did it? He gave up his life. So Christ laid it down. He was at peace that it was his time. He wasn't afraid to die. There was no fear in him about death in that regard. He, was, he knew, he knew that this was needed and he was going to do this for us. He died with no unresolved relationships. He wasn't angry or bitter. He knew where he was going. And he trusted God with his future. You know, when we come to our time, this is the list that you want to have checked off. You want to make sure that you're at peace. You're at peace with God, you're at peace. And he wasn't afraid because of the trust. All behind every one of these is trust. The trust that he had. And he died with no unresolved relationships. He didn't have a bunch of broken relationships. Things left unresolved that he had to pay attention to or wasn't or hadn't paid attention to. He wasn't angry or bitter. He's not on the cross cursing uh, them. That was what the criminal was doing. He wasn't, he wasn't angry or bitter at those that were doing it. He wasn't angry or bitter even at his father. He wasn't angry or bitter he knew where he was going. He trusted. He knew exactly what awaited. He understood that the greater reality is eternal. And he trusted God fully, wholeheartedly. Him being God trusted his own nature with his future. Now I want you to see those six things and ask yourselves a question. Would you be ready to die? Now here's a better question. Do you see that those six things are also revelation of the way to live? Live at peace in the time that God has you. Live at peace with whatever season you're walking in. Don't be afraid of death he was overcoming death and he has overcome your death. Live. He died with no unresolved relationships because he 
kept them current. All the books were current. Not angry or bitter, too much time lost because we allow our hearts and our spirits to become embittered. He knew where he was going. A deep trust of the plan and purpose of God in all things, which sustains us and allows us to live strong in the moment, no matter difficult circumstances or the waves that inevitably, inevitably come. And he trusted God with his future. His future was totally sold out to God's purpose and plan. This is the way not just to die well, but how to live well. Let's take a look at some darkest hour truths from this very statement of Jesus. Here's four truths that comes out of this last final words. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Number one, you have a father's love. You have a father's love. God is not some omnipotent being without a heart for his children. You have a father in heaven who loves you. In fact, he loves you more than you love you. That's hard to believe sometimes. But he loves you more than you love you. You have that love. Look at this scripture again. Father, his last words begins with Father. That relationship, that closeness, that trust. The trust that says, I got a great heavenly dad. In the Aramaic, it's the word Abba, which is an intimate word for daddy, a daddy. If you're not confident in the Lord's love for you, if you're not confident that the Father loves you, whether you are a Christian or not, by the way, the Father loves you. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ. The Father relationship is critical. Our problem today is that we have so many variations of expressions of fatherhood. There's angry fathers all the time. There's inconsistent fathers. You don't know whether you're going to get hugged or slugged. You've got all kinds of different human elements that come in to this word father. But with God, your father, none of those things apply. His love is perfect towards you. His patience is without end. His grace has no depth that you can sink beyond. He doesn't just react and say, oh, you finally crossed the line. The Father looks at you always with love. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. One of the big things about trust is in this world, it's hard to trust because there's so much brokenness in relationships. But that's why you need to forgive and that's why you need to be clean from bitterness. You can't give that residence because it will begin to shape you body, soul, and spirit. It is not just something that is present. It's a force. It's an energy which can create in you and about you the things you don't want. It causes your gifts to be used in certain ways. It causes your time and energy to drive down wrong highways. It causes you to waste the goodness and the strength of life that God has intended for you to live. Only the Father's love releases us to live the life 
that he intends for us to live. You must be good at overcoming brokenness in this world and the best way to start is to trust the perfect love of the Father. He loves you. Second truth that we can say in the darkest hour, Jesus trusted the Father's love, but you are the Father who deserves your absolute trust. He deserves your absolute trust. Look at this, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Entrust that word in the original languages is kind of like a lockbox. It's like a safety deposit box where uh, you, it, it's been literally, I'm placing my spirit into the safe place with you, Father. It's the safest place that it could possibly be. I'm entrusting. I'm putting it into your lockbox. I'm putting it into your, 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 your trust. You have every reason to give God your absolute trust. You exist and breathe because of him and his existence, period. He has a purpose and a plan for your life, period. He is one that is actively working for your good and can even take evil out of your life and use it for good if you will surrender that and focus on loving him. You've got nobody like him. There is nobody like him. You will be disappointed in this world. You will not be disappointed in God. You may be disappointed that God doesn't listen to your godhood, but I will tell you this, you have nothing to be disappointed in God about. You have every opportunity and every facility to make changes in your life. He has even given his spirit to those that place their faith in Christ. You have every possibility to make changes and to turn your life into something God-honoring, Christ-exalting, and you can do that simply because he constantly wills it for you. He deserves your absolute trust. The next darkest hour truth of trust here that you can trust is he is taking care of what you cannot see. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. You can't see your spirit. But your spirit has more to say about everything in your life than anything else in your life. Your spirit in you is something that God holds of the highest value. What can you pay for the soul? The soul in itself is the highest value item in God's created world and in God's quiet and silent world and in God's unseen world. He is taking care of what you cannot see. Job, who was a guy that went through some incredible, difficult things, was talking in Job 23, 9 through 10, and he says this, when he is at work in the north, I do not see him. So if, he, if he's working in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. He's saying, I don't see him. 
all of his work. I don't see it in the north. I don't see it in the south. I don't see his work all of the time, but God is constantly working in realms unseen by you. He is readying you for not just today, but for tomorrow. He is readying you for eternity. He is working in your heart through every pressure and tension and everything that you go through. He is using everything in your life so that he will continue to work and make you like Christ if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian and received Jesus, then he's working everything to draw you to himself. There's a scripture that says it is your kindness that draws us to repentance, O oh Lord. It brings us to repentance. That scripture finishes off with this, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. He's constantly working in tests and trials in your life, and he's going to bring you forth as gold. That which we consider of high value, that which we consider of, pure, uh, of purity, he will bring you forth in gold. He's working where you can't see it. So many times in conversations, I hear the language of, I just don't see God working. The problem with that is not that you don't see him. The problem with that is that somehow because you think I don't see him, that he's not. He is. And he's working deeply in you. And he uses pain elements, maybe more even than other things in our life, to bring us to the place of gold. He's constantly working in the unseen place. Father, I entrust my spirit, that which is eternal. And the fourth truth we pull out of this is he can handle anything that is put in his hands. Anything. Father, I entrust my spirit, and I love these last three words spoken from the lips of our Lord, into your hands. Into your hands. God can take anything and make good of this if it's put within his hands. He is not a God that looks for you to only bring those things which are good or strong. He wants you to bring it all and just get it into his hands. Get it into his hands. Sort of like foilers. Get it on McDavid's stick. Get it on McDavid's stick. No, he's not God. Somebody informed Brent. Anything you get into God's hand, he knows exactly what to do with it. He knows how to take clay that you thought couldn't be anything and turn it into that, which is exactly what it was always intended to be. The artist, the creator, the, that practical God goes to work and he forms us. He can take anything. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 says, I think you ought to know, dear brothers, about the hard time we went through in Asia. We were really crushed and overwhelmed. And feared we would never live through it. We felt we were doomed to die. And saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God. Who alone could save us. For he can even raise the dead. 
Paul is just basically expressing what his ministry was like in a cyclical form. Persecution, hard times, a lot of sweat, a lot of labor, a lot of rejection, a lot of pain, mountain. And then all of a sudden, deliverance, God uses it and God somehow uh, takes and and, and, and wins people and establishes uh, churches. And, and Paul says, it was all good because every time we went through all this kind of stuff, we, it, it would made us in touch with our own weakness and our inabilities. Oh, I'll tell you, the worst way to live is to think of how powerful you are. That is the most limiting thought you could possibly have. And yet the world will push that at you every time. You're so powerful. No, you're not. You're horribly weak. But if you're wise in your weakness, you can recognize we needed him. You know, needing him is a great phrase. He says we needed his help. We needed his power. We saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. When was the last time you said that about being powerless? Not a normal statement, right? Well, I'm feeling real powerless in this relationship, but it's good. I'm feeling very powerless economically here to, you know, what, what we've got waiting and the tests and the things we're up against, but it's good. For then we put everything into the hands of God. Until you understand that flow or have had that flow working in your life, you don't understand how powerful trust is. Trust is, gives you the ability to lean into true power, into true strength, into true help. You can lean into the God who provides all of those things. But not until you see your own powerlessness. For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us for he can even raise the dead. Trust. I mean, if God can raise the dead, folks, how hard is it for him to pay attention to your need? How hard is it for him to actually speak into the difficult situation that you're in? See, trust is something that's hard to come to because we do like control. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But we need to understand that without trust, God will not release the best that he's got. He will not come into partnership with you in the way that he wants to. He will let you run the dials of the life that you want to live. He will let you exhaust the little chambers that you've got. He will let you walk into the weak spots uh, and experience that kind of weakness until you look to him and put everything in his hands. So how do we do that? Jesus gave a great teaching. I just call it come take learn. He gave a great teaching. And we see this replicated in great men all through history and great women all through history. Paul, Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Daniel, Esther. All of these persons came to a place many times often where they were powerless. 
they were placed and taken from positions of power and put into great weak states. You got Abraham taken from security and comfort and he's placed into a foreign land. And at an age, he is promised a son when it would take nothing but supernatural ability to be able to accomplish that. Moses is taken from a palace and he ends up on the backside of a desert in weakness because his own power didn't work out to carry out what God had called him to do. And his chamber of energy ran out and he's on the backside of a desert where he is learning about his own powerlessness. David, such an amazing man, finds out how powerless he is when something inside him got triggered that day and temptation and his heart was not prepared for that and he ended up making a decision that caused great harm. Powerlessness. Jesus gave this teaching. Look at Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He might as well have said, come to me, you who are weak. Come to me, you who are powerless. Come to me. So the first invitation that he gives is come. There's three actions that he says to do here. And the first is Come. He says, don't stay over there trying to regenerate this in some other way within your life. You know, people came to Jesus in throngs and then there was individuals that would come. But Jesus never cared why people came, just as long as they came to him. He took a woman of great disrepute in a street as she was brought to him and brought her to a place of value and call and reestablishment in a life of power. Uh, The woman at the well. He took time. In fact, he took that journey just for that woman so that they could have an appointment at a well and he could speak into her life because she'd been totally isolated from her community because of her failures in her life. It doesn't matter why you come to Jesus. All that matters is that you come, 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 come. Too often you're focused on the whys. You're focused on, I could never. You, you, you work against the good outcome simply by not listening to this invitation of come. But you'd rather massage yourself maybe with those things like hobbies or, and, and there's nothing wrong with these things, movies, uh, screen time, uh, uh, exercise, uh, food. I mean, we, like, we, we can massage ourselves a million different ways. But none of it gets to the real core of your rest that's needed. You come to Jesus for rest. He says, you come and I will give you rest. But it's not just a normal rest. When you look at this word, it's not like, oh, come to me and then physically you're going to get replenished. He's talking about a soul rest. Your emotional, your mental, your spiritual, every part of you gets rested when the coming to Jesus. Jesus ministers to the whole person. You're emotional, you're mental, you're spiritual. Many times we are weak simply because we are not rested. Now for this to actually happen, the soul rest, you gotta come so that the focus would shift from you to God. Because the more time that you spend with God, 
the more it's going to come off of you, the focus, and it's going to shift over to him and his goodness and his omnipotence and that he is a great father and that he has purpose and that he's walking with you. He's there for you. You're going to have this shift take place, but not without coming. You must come. You say, well, you know, I don't ever feel like just going to God first. Well, to be honest, that's foolish. Because he's the only source of soul rest. There is no other source. Jesus is embodying what he's about to say in this teaching. He's embodying what what he said on the cross. And he's saying, look, I'm going to be going through the great turmoil of the cross. And I'm going to say, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And I want you to say that over and over and make sure you start it with come. And you say, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. I'm coming. Don't make it the last words of your life at the final chapter in the final moment. Make it a way of living. Come. Then the word take. Jesus said this in the same scripture. And and he said, take my yoke upon you. That's a really interesting scripture. Of course, a, a much more agrarian society. I mean, this is rural, this is farm. And he's talking to them and he's saying, I want you to take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that's an interesting, interesting thing. You see, the fact is, is that a yoke is is something that he's saying to you, it's my yoke, not yours. Here's how we pray often. Here's how we try to come to Jesus. Jesus, come and take my yoke. Come and take my yoke upon you. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't teach that. He said, take my yoke upon you. Because it's my yoke that is light. It's my yoke. You're going to have a lot of yokes in life. You may have a dozen yokes right now. You might have financial yokes, you might have health yokes, future yokes, relational yokes, and the yokes on you. I'm just checking to see if you're listening. See, a yoke is a sign of partnership. When you take on a yoke, no matter who you take it on with, you're taking on a partnership. And Jesus is saying, come take mine. I'm welcoming you into a partnership with me. And I am going to make your life so much more better. I'm going I'm to make it fruitful. I am going to take and I've got design for you. You come into my yoke. Don't be inviting me into yours. You just come into mine. We'll look after all that. You just come into mine. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. A yoke is a symbol of control. Galatians 5.25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He's talking about this. He's saying, look, when you come into my yoke, I am going to keep you in step with me. 
The Holy Spirit is in every believer in Jesus. He has come to reside in your, in your temple. And so he is there and he wants you to be in step with him. Now this is where we get it wrong. Control of what? A yoke is a symbol of control where he controls the speed. He controls the direction. See, you and I get in trouble on speed and direction. Lord, I've been praying for this and it's not happening. When is it going to happen? Direction. Lord, I want to go that way, but let's just mosey along this path for a little bit longer. I'll come around, Lord, but... Come down this path with me. You see, in life, there are two great stressors for you that are going to happen, and it shows up in these two areas. Speed and direction. It's not happening fast enough. It's not happening fast enough. It's not happening fast enough. It's not going the direction I want. It's not going the direction I want. I don't care if it's business, personal, whatever. Speed and direction. When you go into his yoke, you're giving him control of speed and direction. We don't want to give up those things. The fact is, you already don't control much about your life. You didn't control the big things of your life. You didn't control when you were born, where you were born, who you were born to. You didn't control your race, your natural talents. All of the major things in your life have been out of your control. The last is learn. So first he says, come to me. Then he says, take my yoke. And now he says, learn from me. Once you're in yoke with me, once you've come to me and you're in my yoke, now learn. Learn how to handle speed and direction. Learn how to stay on task. Learn how to stay strong. Learn how to be whole. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. He's saying, I'm not gonna berate you. I am not going to rip you apart. That is the enemy that's going to do that. I'm not doing that. You come to me. I am gentle. I am gentle. And I, and I am a humble in heart. You see, oftentimes we think, I don't want to come to God because I just don't want to feel the guilt. That's where guilt goes. He is the only one that's going to be gentle and humble with you. And yet truthful. And you will find rest for your souls. Now, I don't know, but why doesn't he say to me, I will teach you confidence and endurance? Or I will teach you time management and goal setting. Or I will teach you energy, efficiency, and effectiveness. See, the biggest stress reliever in your life is not learning those things. The biggest stress reliever in your life is Jesus' gentleness and humility. He'll be very gentle with you with all of your mistakes, your sins. He's gonna take your shortcomings. He's got ways and plans to work those things. He's gonna be gentle and he's gonna be humble towards you. He is going to bring you gentleness and 
humility. And that is a great stress reliever. It's not much different in ways than when we know that we have a healthy relationship with somebody where they are gentle with us and, and they are somebody who is humble with us. They're not arrogant. They're not judgmental. They're not tearing us apart. They are not you know, driving our fear through the roof. These are people though we love to be with because they're gentle with us and they're, and they're humble with us. Well, Jesus is the ultimate stress reliever. See, if you're not coming to Jesus, if you're not taking up his yoke and you're not willing to learn, you can't get to this kind of phase where Jesus' very nature of gentleness and humility restores your soul. Body, soul, spirit, mind, emotions. The greatest causes of stress are aggression and arrogance. Aggression, we don't wait, we don't pause, we don't consider, we don't delay, we get aggressive. Just take the bull by the horns and drive it hard. How many times have you done that and run over enough people to know that you left some bruises behind you? Or how many times you've done it that you got bruised by it? How many times did you run into the wall because it was just take it and do it? Arrogance. We try to control everything. A lot of stress comes from thinking that you can do more than you can do. That you can control more than you can control. That you can be more than you are. That you can have more than you have and on and on. Here is God's antidote to arrogance and aggression, gentleness, humility. Jesus modeled this. Over and over in the book of John, Jesus says this, over and over. I only do what my Father tells me to do. This is Jesus. I only say what my Father tells me to say. I only act when my father tells me to act. He just lived a simple life of obedience which was based on total trust. So when he's in the garden and the tension and the pressure and all of that is hitting him because our sins, my sins, yours are being loaded onto him. All, every sin of mankind placed upon this lamb of God. And he says, Father, if there's another way, then take this cup from me. But not my will be done, but yours. At that moment, he gave us a revelation of this total trust. Measured with the pain, measured with the things that come with life. And he is in total trust. And he's saying, I'm not taking over from you. I'm not going to become arrogant or aggressive here. I am not taking over the reins. I am not going to say, I'm doing it my way. He didn't take any of that aggressive or arrogant stance with his father. Rather, he said, if there is another way, then take this cup. But nevertheless, not my will, 
but yours be done. There is something about that in life. When you're in weakened condition, you're going through hard times. Some of you are going to be there right now. Maybe all of us are in ways. And you are there in the middle of some pretty difficult waters, some really dark times. There's no way that you need to deny it. You can say, Father, if there's another way, But this isn't where trust is. Trust is revealed in this next phrase which says, nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. Every time in my life, when I take a look at these points in my life, I can see where aggressiveness wants to kick in and I want to find my own way through it. Or arrogance that I'm going to actually just choose the path and I'm going to change the plan. When God's antidote is gentleness, humility. And I need to trust him absolutely and trust his heart and say, I am not taking my will in aggressiveness or arrogance. But you get to a release point. You've been there. If you're a believer for any length of time, you've been there. You get to a release point where you know there was this transition, there was this movement from you to him, a focused change. It went from the pain, it went from the heartache, it went, it went from the uncontrollable circumstances into focus on him. It's no different than Paul and Silas in the prison at midnight singing songs of worship and then it goes to the Lord and the Lord's plan continues through the rest of the night. They were not caught up in an arrogant or an aggressive stance with their God, they had a trust that all things that they were going to go through could somehow in the hand of God become very purposeful, very much a part of his journey, not just for them, but for many, many around. They understood that every step that they would take would have ramifications. And if it was only the steps they took on their own journey, that they would end up with an empty sack of meaning at the end of life. Jesus was just starting to fill his sack of meaning when he said, Father. When he, when he said from the cross those magical words and he commended his spirit to the Lord, to his dad, his meaning continues to explode and that's how ours is to be and that's why he shows us how to die well and that's why if we are prepared to die well, we are also prepared to live well because our trust is in the Lord and all of the things in life which want to leave you with an empty sack at the end will not control your life through the aggression or arrogance. And everything that you go through that seems to reveal your weakness. Becomes points where trust brings his presence, his power, himself. So come. Take. 
learn. Come, take, learn. Come, take, learn. Come, take, learn. Not once in life, all the time. You're going to find this to be a process like it was in those people that we listed earlier from scriptures. They went through this over and over and over again. Come, take, learn. Come, take, learn. Come, take, learn. Come, take, learn. You might have to do that sometimes multiple times in a day. It may be right now needed for you. Come, take, learn. Come, take, learn. So we're going to stand and we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you in a response from your heart to do a little coming, taking, and avail yourself to learning the power of humility and gentleness. And the power out of that of learning how to trust because you can't trust without those commodities. And then the power of trust will be something that holds your ship steady in the midst of whatever storm is coming. Because trust puts you into Christ and into his goodness and into his plan and into his purpose. And everything you experience stays with him. And he can bring good. So fathers, we bow our heads before you. We'd have to acknowledge that we've trusted ourselves far more than we've trusted you, probably. We have first run the first part of the formula, which is, I'll find my way through, and I'll do it now. And Lord, we've probably run against enough walls, and we've probably tripped over enough fallen logs, and we've probably taken the wrong path long enough and many times enough so that we can, at this moment, in humility, say, Oh, Father, forgive me for not coming, for not taking up your yoke, but trying to get you to take mine, and not learning about how good, how gentle how humble you are towards me. Father, as conversations go on in hearts around the room on whatever subject with you on this, I pray that trust in you will begin to rise in believers' hearts. That if Christ at the most alarming injustice in all of history can speak the words that he spoke, And he was illustrating for us, Lord, how to die well, but also how to live well. Father, I pray that we would be able to begin to pray those words with strength. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands this day. Father, the finances. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Father, the relationship. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Father, the kids. I entrust my spirit into your hands. Father, all of the heartache of health and all the heartache that I'm experiencing in life, the rejection, the things of my history, the things that have been done to me that I've found very hard to release. Father, I entrust my spirit 
into your hands. And may there come that beautiful spark of that resurrected life as we give over into your hands, Lord, all of these things which we have a false sense of control, a false sense, Lord Jesus, of being the ones in charge. And may we find this place of fresh trust. Folks, trust God with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. He's going to speak it into your life many, many, many times. But now it's time to practice it. So here's a final little prayer you might pray for any circumstance that you're in. You might say this, Father, if there be another way, then take this cup from me. But if not, these heavy waters, this heavy season, this problem that won't go away, then, oh God, not my will be done. I step back. I step back into gentleness and humility. I step back into your yoke. I will not force my yoke on you somehow. I am going to step back into your yoke and where I will find gentleness and humility and teach me because I want to learn from you how to live how to live in Jesus name we pray Amen Thanks for listening If you find this program helpful or would like to learn more, please give us a call 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. 